0: This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor, man. This is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Today I have Venkat Avasarala on the line. Hey, Venkat. Hey, Len. Venkat is another real estate investor that I've met along my travels. He's got over 10 years of experience. He successfully acquired rehab and operating 20 single-family rentals in the DFW area. That's Texas. And he's a successful multifamily investor as a deal sponsor, currently in three deals in the DFW area in Oklahoma City. And he also is an IT management expert in a Fortune 500 company in the banking and consumer industry. So Venkat, How much simple passive cash flow are you making today, and how are you doing it? I would say
1: anything uh, north of $100,000. And most of this passive cash flow is coming from my single-family rentals that I have. All of them are in DFW area. I started acquiring them one by one since 2006. After I hit the 20 limit, all of these have Fannie Mae loans on them, 10 on my name and 10 on mine my spouse's name but once you hit the 20 Fannie Mae kind of stops you you can still continue to buy these properties but the financing will not be much attractive like Fannie Mae the rest of my passive cash flow comes from my passive investments in some multifamily yeah. deals that I did with local investors here a couple of those deals are right here in Dallas and one of them is in Oklahoma I was a passive investor in those three multifamily deals. Put together, they get me about $100,000 a year in passive investment.
0: Take it back to the single family realm, maybe a few years back. As you said, you are Fannie made out, can't get any yep. more Fannie Mae loans. Uh-huh. So take us back to that moment where we call this the Han Solomon moment where you were working in IT and what made you switch over to start investing in real estate with those single families?
1: I came to United States. I'm originally from India. I came to United States in 2002 to pursue my master's degree in electrical engineering. I went to University of Alabama in Huntsville. Once I'm done with it, I... Couldn't get any job in electrical. Basically, all the entry-level jobs left the country or to Taiwan, China, India, and so forth. I kind of switched and moved to IT. So got some training there, got started, worked in several Fortune 500 companies, and then finally... Got a contracting opportunity here in Dallas Metroplex. So after working in Houston for a couple of years, about six months in Bellevue, Washington, which is a suburb of Seattle, finally came back to Dallas here at the time my wife was already working here. So, you know, we want to get married. And at the time, she was my girlfriend. We got married, bought a house, and we both have our daily jobs. I was driving to my work once And I used to hear something called a biz radio, business radio. And then I heard a commercial from a local investment group. They're called Lifestyles Unlimited. I heard the ad and they said that, you know, they're doing a free seminar kind of thing. And they talked about the real estate, how you can achieve retirement in early stage of the life and you don't really have to wait for 60 years at the time i was just curious and i was just stunned for a moment saying that what are they talking about i'm just getting started my work what is it that they're talking about retirement in like 30s and all that i was really intrigued i wasn't sure that is possible or natural because i was always led to believe that one has to work nine to five for like 30, 35 years after spending 20 years of education. So yeah, that's why I was really intrigued on what they're talking about. So I went there to free seminar. They had two programs at the time, single family and multifamily. Basically what they're saying is, hey, don't make all the mistakes. You obviously, you can do it all by yourself, right? But the reason why you need a mentor or somebody who should be helping you who have already done this is that they can expedite your growth and minimize your mistakes. So I was bought into that and I signed up for their single family program there. And that's what got me started. I saw other like-minded people there. Really, there was a radical transformation in my way of belief of life. Then I figured out that I also don't want to work till 60 I started believing that God did not put me on this earth to work nine to five. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that probably that's not what he was envisioning. He wants me to have a fulfillment of life and live a happy life to live my life on my terms on any given day.
0: So that's what got me started. like. That's always interesting Then people start to question going to work for 20, 30, 35 years. It's an interesting group of people. I know a lot of engineers, yourself included. We don't make too much, sure. so it's a little easier for us to question. But it's always amazing when like these doctors or lawyers, they can buy the real nice cars, they can buy the real nice house, yet they still question. Do you ever recall something in your past that led you down the path to question and you went actually find that seminar and go to it?
1: Like I said, I really was thinking, and one other thing, now that I think about it, I went to this like I was working at this place. I worked there for six years before I moved on to a different company, but every year, they used to have a certain time of the year. When I used to go to work, I'm a contractor there, right? Right. But when I used to go to work, I see a fire engine outside, like emergency services and all that. The very first time I was like, what's going on? So I went in and find out that they were doing layoffs and all those things they are, you know, emergency services waiting outside is just in case if somebody overreacts or somebody faints or things like that. And that made me think, it's like the folks who probably use those emergency services there, or like somebody who's been working there for 20, 30 years on the same technology probably didn't know what to do at the time. That's why they're fainting. It's like, oh, my God, I've been working here <laughs> for the last 30 years on the same technology. Now, if I go out, what do I do? And I have a couple of kids in college or whatnot, right? Their situation is. And I keep seeing this every year. It's like almost a ritual, Nothing wrong against the corporate America, right? They have to take care of their shareholders' best interests. They have to do this kind of a thing so that they hit their numbers and balance their books. They're trying to be responsible and provide the maximum shareholder value, but it's just part and parcel of life. But then I thought that I don't want to be one of the um, casualties of all this, right? I want to get ahead of the curve and secure my future and try to get out of this. I'm not really eager to get off at the time. And even now, I love my job. It's not that. It's just that once the company no longer needs you, you don't want to be stranded and looking for, what do I do now? So I really want to avoid that situation. I want to do, get this passive investments going on so that it keeps me afloat in the times of turmoil.
0: You started with this group, got a little bit of coaching Mm -hmm. and you just started picking up these single family homes at what frequency and any secrets or you just saved money and down payment and done it the old fashioned way?
1: I pretty much have done it the old fashioned way, but this is what I did. I went to their seminar back in 2006, December. They were just getting started in Dallas, paid the fees, got into the group, got the two day seminar and then I had some support system there if I have any questions and all that. The very first property I bought is through them. Foreclosures actually started by that time. That was 2007, February. Nobody had any idea how bad it's going to get, but it was like really unbelievable. My first house that I bought is built in early 70s in East Dallas area, like about 1,700 square feet or something with three bedrooms, two bathrooms, and on foreclosure price is like about $55,000. I just wasn't disbelieved. How is this even possible? If I were to build the same exact house in the same exact spot, it would easily cost me like four times that. It didn't make sense for a lot of time and I was disbelief. But again, after talking to more people and all that, I came to terms that, yeah, it is possible. So I went ahead and bought it with a Chase mortgage, even for that $55,000. And believe it or not, I was like sweating the day before because I just don't know what I'm, this is the first time. I have the coaching, but it's just something I'm doing for the first time. I went out and bought that, spent about $5,000 to rehab it. And within a week of putting an ad in the Craigslist, I was getting a tenant. It started cash flowing. Well, I liked it so much that I did a couple more that year in 2007 itself. I did one more in the East Dallas area and I found one in Richardson area. Coit and Campbell area. It's a pretty nice area. I did three in 2007, and the way I financed it was using credit cards towards the um, down payments. What I did was at the time, credit cards were very liberal, and they used to give very liberal credit card limits, and then 0% balance transfer offer for 18 months or so. I kind of accessed that money. Took that money and put towards the down payment for these three houses, bought those three houses, and I kept rotating the debt on those three cards that I have the balance transfer from. For the next year, year and a half, I paid them off. Basically, credit cards helped me to get started and coming up with the down payments and the rehab money towards these. I didn't have a lot of money. I have about $10,000 at the time of my own money. I needed a little bit more, maybe another 40000 so which the credit cards helped me to – Purchase these three houses
0: in two thousand and seven. I had just graduated college, and I was also using those zero percent balance transfer credit cards. And I think I got up like fifty or a hundred thousand dollars of free credit. And sure, instead of doing what you were doing, I was just getting six percent in a high yield checking account. Ah. If I would have
1: known <laughs> At the time, I remember there were online banks which used to give. I opened up an account with a company called eMigrant Direct, and I still have that account. Now they pay like half a percent, I believe. But yeah, in good old days, those days, they used to pay about 5% high yield. And even that was good. I mean, you're making money using the spread between what you're paying, which is nothing to the credit cards. And also, there was no balance transfer fee back then. They used to just wave it left and right. They don't do that no more. And also, in order to do this in a meaningful way, you need to have very... Generous credit limits. Now, well, how do you get there? When I was in Houston, when I used to work in Houston, I went to a seminar. They charged me about $1,000 for a three-day seminar. I didn't learn anything from that. But one thing I learned, just one thing, is the lady who did the seminar said that Hey, you can do this using credit cards, but it takes time to build up those credit limits. And the way she explained it is you need to call all these credit card companies and tell them that, hey, I'm planning a big purchase and I I intend to put it on this card, but the current limit is not going to cover it. So why don't you increase? Let's Say if my limit is five, I ask for 20, they give me maybe a 10 or a 15. And then you do that again after six months and you do that again six months. I've been doing that over those two years ever since I attended the seminar. And for $1,000, that's the only thing I learned and it paid off. It helped me. By 2007, after two, two and a half years after listening to the seminar, I have limits. me Between me and my spouse, we had limits of uh, $250,000 on our cards that we were able to access a good portion of it. To finance our initial three real estate single family homes.
0: Great to reminisce about the good old days. Yep. I would apply for like five, ten cards in one day. I used to call those aparamas, <laughs> and when they would ask you what's your uh, household income, they said, "Do it yours, your your mom's, your dad's, your grandpa's, your aunties, the people that live upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> That's household income. That's how yep. I did mine." <laughs> <laughs> It's an interesting story. So you bought these properties pre-2008 crash. Everybody's always trying to look for uh, some kind of excuse like Y2K or 9-11 or I'll do it after the election or I'll do it after the Fed raises rates or something, some excuse. But you went and you bought. How did the crash go for you?
1: So that is what happened. We went into crash and like everybody, I was worried. But then again, it's not a whole lot of things the first 3 houses i paid something like 220 averaging about 70 and they're all foreclosures i kind of taken advantage of foreclosures while the rest of the market is good but when the whole market has such tanked and when everybody is afraid of the word mortgage or a home that's my greatest regret i didn't take advantage of the 2008 9 10 and 11 I sat out for four years. And part of the reason was that I was suddenly given a major responsibility at work. We were doing a $4 billion project. It's a big SAP implementation. SAP is the ERP that large multinational companies use to keep their books. We're implementing that. I was given at the age of 28 in 2008, I was given a charge of a team of 35 member team that I'm responsible for. I was the first guy in out, last guy out. I used to literally work like 14 hours a day. Couple that with lack of financing and all the bad news about mortgage, I pretty much sat out 2008, 9, 10, and 11. The fourth property I bought again was in 2012, August. At the time, I was just getting out of the contracting business and uh, getting into a full time. I thought that, okay, I need some kind of regularity in my life. I cannot change jobs every six months to one year. I need something stable. So that is when I was getting out of the contract. And I don't know what told me, that, but I felt that the market is changing. People are no more afraid of houses. And there is small bidding wars started for houses in very nice neighborhoods, not everywhere. I see the writing on the wall there. Something is changing. At that time, I determined that, okay, Now that I got out of the contracting, I don't no longer have to work like 12, 14 hours a day. Now I have some time. I try to keep my hours to 40 a week. And then when I have that extra time, I started buying these houses. And the next 17 houses, I bought between August of 2012 and about all these 17 houses. Practically, I was buying one every other month. I was like in a hurry, trying to get all these houses That's the premonition, if you will, that I had in August of 2012 when I started purchasing again. By mid-2015, I hit the ceiling of 20.
0: So that's what happened. The down payment money came from the W-2 job income. Exactly.
1: Yes. We went ahead and bought a $300,000 house when we were 26. Me and my wife, we never bought a home before. We just bought a spec home. We don't even know how a house is built. We have no idea about the starts. The, the, it's just totally different construction that they do in the United States compared to India, where we came from. It varies, it's more like brick and mortar kind of thing. We have no idea how a house is built and we don't know the options, how to even pick them. So we went to a builder and said, okay, give us a spec home. That's a little out of our means kind of a thing that we did. But after that, we were always living below our means and never extravagant didn't take any pricey vacations or anything like that. So me and my wife, we were saving up money. And we know that we want to invest aggressively while we are young so that the older years go smoothly. We always had that at the back of our mind. And we were both very really hardworking people. When we were in Masters, we used to work at the subway making like 5 $6, so practically minimum wage there. At the time minimum wage, I believe is a five twenty-five an hour. We we're doing that while we are doing three graduate level courses at the University for Electrical Engineering. So we used to at least work like 50-60 hours while we are taking three full-time courses. When we were really, really hardworking and very, really, really ambitious and always believe in living below our means until we get really comfortable. To answer your question, yes, yeah, so all the savings out of the W2 income is the one which we are using. Towards the down payment, but the money started rolling in from these passive investments, especially when if you bought a house for fifty thousand dollars in two thousand seven. Those three houses that I bought in two thousand seven, they started generating about over a thousand dollars a month as well. That that helped quite a bit.
0: I just wanted to kind of point that out to people listening. You bought right before the crash in two thousand eight. You're so glad you bought them.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: You got 20 of these single family homes, which again, I don't recommend that to anybody unless you're looking for another job to create. (laughs) I think people should uh, hit their number about four, four or a few properties and then go into multifamily. Tell us your story of how you came into multifamily.
1: Just so that you know, I really loved single family. If there is no family limit, I probably would have done another 20, 30 it's just that there's no deals out there, which makes a lot of sense for me to get them using a private portfolio financing, which has a term of five years with balloon payments and a very high interest rates, a uh, big closing costs and all that. That's why I had to look elsewhere. But also I have a system down for single family. I manage them all myself. I practically manage them on my cell phone, basically. I have a pool of vendors, a plumber, an HVAC guy, an electrician, and a handyman, and maybe a pest control guy. These five people make up your team, and you need to have a level of trust with these kind of people where you encourage your tenants to text you with what the problem is, And then you send the text to your service provider, HVAC guy or whatever, depending on the issue. And they go and talk to the tenant and set up a time. They perform the service and they email you an invoice. And you should be able to pay them without question. It's all built on trust. I was lucky to have a pool of people. That's why it's a breeze to handle these 20 properties. I never felt like, oh my God, this is taking a lot of time. At the same time, I want to say that, you know, what I learned from Lifestyles at the time, Del Wamsley, I was fortunate enough to learn directly from him. Now, I don't think he teaches anymore, but, you know, back then he used to. What he told me is this, you know, when you buy the property, just fix everything. Don't have anything differ. Fix everything. Doesn't have to sparkle, but everything has to be functional. And treat your tenant as if like your family member. You wouldn't put your mom in a house where HVAC is not working. You have to have a similar feeling when your tenants report you that their HVAC is not working. So in other words, give them the best product and fix their issues right away. Again, in order to do that, you need to have this pool of service providers that provide outstanding service. So I take pride in giving the best service. That's why three of those two houses, I still have the tenants from 2007, the original ones. Now we are in 2006. And that means I have my first and second house tenants. They're still there for last nine years. I don't try to raise rents on them every year. i raise them when my costs go up. Like if my insurance goes up or if my tax goes up, I try to pass that on to them, but I don't give them an excuse to go out and shop. And also I take care of them very well that they stay there. So practically you can really make money when people just stay there for years like that without giving any problems and you build some kind of relationship with these tenants. Yeah, once in a while they get into trouble that you work things out with them. But yeah, that's how I manage all these houses. But again, to explain the move to the multifamily, once I did this 20 single family houses, I'm getting about an average $400 positive cash flow. That is after paying the PITI. And I set aside a straight 15% of the rent I set aside for maintenance. After removing the PITI and 15% of the rent for maintenance, I'm on average making about $400 a month per property. That's not bad, it's $8,000 a month, but it's just not enough to retire. Yeah, I mean, if we lose our jobs, that's fine. Our house mortgage gets paid off, all the essential utilities get paid off, and we can live comfortably without having any problem. But then again, what about the health insurance? If you don't have a job, health insurance can be like really, really expensive in this country. We were still young, but still, you never know when you would need that. That said, okay, I need to do something else. What else is there? I'm not really good at stocks. The problem with the stocks is that it's so easy to buy and sell them. Your emotions will come in way. You get freaked out with everybody you sell and you get greedy with everybody you buy on news you'll mess it up. That's what in my case, I didn't lose any much money. I sold all the stock holdings before 2007 when I started real estate. So I never really liked stocks. The only place where I'm making money on the stocks is in my 401 case, because they do an automated investing and I don't mess with it once I set it up. With the emotion out, the greed out and the fear out of the picture. And if it's an auto Robert, It's in the autopilot situation. Then I started making money on stocks in my 401k account, but I don't want to do anything outside. So I was looking what else there is to do. I looked at buying a small business, owner absentee. Once again, I don't want to buy myself a job. So after looking at several things like laundromats, I pursued that. Nothing didn't pan out or d- gave me confidence that I can do that with minimal effort from my side on a day-to-day basis. So finally, I landed with multifamily. I went and found this time another mentor who's very famous in our DFW area. His name is Brad Somrock, and he has over 500 people who actively participates in this group. And all these people actually pay to get into the group. They are driven. They understand the business. They take time to get savvy and sophisticated about the business. This is not your average Joe people. They are average Joe people. It's just that they're driven so much and they believe in that they actually spend money, time to come to the events and to participate in the group. Once I joined the group, actually in 2014, again, I need some kind of a proof that it works. In 2014, I attended one of these groups' events. I took cards from some of the sponsors at the time. Got on their mailing lists and start passively investing in three deals. And once money started rolling in, then I, I became a believer. Yes, this works. And not only that this works, but this is the best group out there. And then all my hesitation is gone. And then I went to Brad's event, sign up and started my education on again, after 10 years, 10 years before that, in 2006, I was uh, learning single family again. Now, I joined this group, Brad's group, and started my education on uh, multifamily. Last number, actually, number of 2015 is when I actually started my education
0: on multifamily. The worst life and business moment, and what did you do after? And what was the lesson learned?
1: My worst moment would be like when I realized in 2006. I should have really picked multifamily. I'm impatient in a way. I always think that I'm not getting any younger. I want to do things faster, much more in an efficient way. My worst moment is when I realized that when I started my first deal in multifamily, uh, it just dawned upon me that back in 2006, I should have actually started multifamily. And believe it or not, the reason why I didn't start multifamily is because uh, the fees to get in to the multifamily, to actually sit in a chair and start talking to them, it was $10,000. Not a lot of money for me right now, but 10 years back, $10,000 is a lot of money. And remember, I need a proof. Before I started committing money and all that, I asked them at least let me invest, let me passively invest in one of your deals. Let me see if this works, get that proof that I would start with them, but they wouldn't let me. That's why I went with single family. And I think the fees was just about $500 or $1,000 at the time in single families. It was an easy point of entry for me. But looking back, I should have paid that $10,000 because just think about it. I was in Dallas all this time. and Dallas market being the pretty hot right now on multifamily, I would have had ten years where there is very minimal competition in multifamily area and you could have picked up these properties on really pennies and dollars and do business in a scale of millions instead of hundreds of thousands.
0: That would be my moment. And I just wanted to point out, me and Kant were talking about this era, and Venkat's not trying to circumvent this question and saying that he didn't make any mistakes, but his story is kind of similar to mine. We're just pretty conservative investors. and We go off of the proof of concept model, and we kind of follow yep. and invest with other investors who are doing it right. It's not like he's trying to hide anything. It's just hasn't really put himself in those situations to really strike out really hard.
1: Yeah, definitely. My only regrets are, like I said, could have done it a little better. But again, when you do the proof of concept, and again, when you always work with a mentor, when you want to get somewhere, and you have never been there before, you're not sure the way to get there. The best thing to do at the time is to get a mentor who already have been there several times that I don't have to make any mistakes that person made. That was the key. Well, I never really get burned on anything on the real estate side. It's not because I was a genius or anything like that. It's just the discipline that I had to take help when I don't know something. That's what kept me out of the trouble. And I really hope that it'll keep me in the trouble for the rest of my investing career as well.
0: That's something that you have recently thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or improvement of quality of life.
1: This multifamily thing has been really working well. I'm so glad that I found the mentor that I did. He kind of expedited my learning. And not only learning, the support that I have there, I was able to sponsor two deals so far. I did my first deal, a $4 million deal. Once you close it, obviously, then you have to execute the business plan, working with the property managers and all that. In October, I partnered with one other person, in my group, and we sponsored our second deal. That's in Glendale, Arizona, an $8 million deal, 120 doors. And now, in November, we just put under a contract a 300 unit deal in Muskeet, Texas, the one which you are working right now, and hopefully we'll be able to close by mid February. What recently occurred is that in this business, once you know how to do this, and also once you get all the help that using that help, you can really quickly scale. And I didn't think 12 months ago when I was signing up for this program that I would do $27 million of real estate in 12 months. And all this 27 actually literally came in last six to seven months. Technically, it's about $27 million of real estate in six months. I didn't think that I can scale this well. What dawned upon me is that In next 12 months, I intend to do another $30, 40000000 million of real estate. What dawned upon me is that every major acquisition I take, we do raise money. We do have partners. We split our responsibilities. But still, I see myself running out of time in about 12 months that I cannot take anything anymore. In order to buy back my time, I'm seriously considering, along with my business partner, to do one of the two things get in a junior business partner who has time so that we can leverage his time and he or she can leverage our experience and our help to fulfill their own goals or actually go ahead and hire somebody to help us with our day-to-day stuff.
0: You mentioned that when, homecoming project for you and Mesquite that I went and visited recently as your, kind of your six month project at the moment. What's something like a two week experiment that you've been kind of tinkering around with?
1: The two week experiment would be again, me and my business partner, we were both surprised at the success that we had. We didn't envision that we'll scale this quickly. What we started thinking is we already started thinking about our next project. We are talking to brokers, lining up our next deal right after this one. Much bigger deal, of course. We went to four to eight, eight to 15, all in six months. So the next stop would be at least 15. 15 or above is what we're looking at. Well, how do you raise money for all this? There's only so much, no matter how robust your group is, there's only so much cash at any given time. But if you're doing deals at this pace, you gotta have to extend your horizon outside of your group. We're kind of brainstorming some ideas, to look for avenues to raise money outside the investor group that I'm in. That's something that we really want to tinker with in very immediate future.
0: You mentioned your business partner a couple of times, and I think by the time this podcast airs, it'll be that time of the year where everybody's thinking about goals. Do you uh, and your business partner, I know you guys are exclusive, which is kind of funny, but (laughs) do you guys sit down and do any kind of brainstorming on goals? 5 10-year? Sure. Year. So, yeah, my business
1: there? my business partner's name is Ramana Korada. He's also an IT guy. There is no set time for us. 24-7, we send each other texts. We send uh, each other emails. And uh, honestly, nothing clicked for him or me until we together partner. 1 plus 1 is not 2. It's maybe 22. Uh, definitely, you know, where I lacked, he brought value to the table and vice versa. This is what we committed to each other, right? We will help each other to be successful and together we'll be successful. And we'll work on this like our life depends on it. As if that we have some terminal illness and we only have six months to live and we got to buy a hundred million real estate before our time is up. That's how we're going to approach on this one. Because like I said earlier, we're not getting younger. Both of us see time as more valuable than money. Again, to answer your question, yes, we always think about our next deal. We always openly talk about the mistakes that we did. We have to talk about mistakes. Otherwise, we'll repeat it. It's really important to talk more about our mistakes than our successes. Successes are good. Once in a while, you have to stop and smell the roses. No question about it. But we always talk, hey, what did we do wrong on the last one? What better we could do for our next one? We are always in that kind of a mode. That's why I think we were successful here and we fully utilized every resource that our mentor has made available to us. Again, Brad Somrock is an awesome, awesome human being. He's more than a mentor for me, he's really available to us. Again, I have that similar relationship with my mentor. I can send him a text or email at any time. Not every time you don't have to get on a call and talk to people. It's just that small, timely advice that you get will move you along. We don't reserve a time. Let's say every Tuesday evening, let's sit together and strategize. Yeah, we don't do that. Rather, we strategize all day long, every day, all day. It's all about the information. As soon as I get that information, I share with my partner and he does the same thing. Once in a while, we do sit together. Let's say once we have the something that we want to go after a deal, definitely we sit together and strategize. But this is strategy is not something that we do like at a fixed time, but rather it's evolving and we do it all the time.
0: So there's no questions like set questions like, "Oh, where are we going to be in five, ten, fifteen years?" Or is it more just per like the next deal on the table that we're analyzing?
1: Exactly, like I said. We met our mentor's Christmas party last November. It's practically 13 months since that happened. We were not thinking that we'll be here where we are today. We really didn't have a five-year plan on all that, but I think it's a time where we have to start talking about it with all the success that we had. But like you said, our focus has been only on the task at hand at the deal that we are currently working and also the deal, which we will be working shortly. But I think a time has come where we actually have to sit together and make up that five-year plan and work towards it. But we always have a one-year plan, though. That's another thing Brad rock teaches. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have a goal and a plan to reach the goal, all you have are wishes. That's all. They don't matter. Everybody have wishes. So he forces us. At the end of the year, he actually conducts a webinar and asks all his students to actually make a goals for the next year. And also, he wants us to think about how are you going to reach the goal? What is the plan to reach the goal? And he helps us if we are falling short, putting together our plan. He steps in and helps us. That's pretty much what we've been doing.
0: Massive action is more important than making yep. a plan. Yep. What's your simple passive cash flow number? And imagine you had two times that amount. Describe your ideal day, detailed routine, and what projects you'd be working on.
1: If I ever reach that, what I would be doing is obviously I wouldn't be keeping my corporate job. Even though I love my job, like I said, right? It's not like some people hate their job. I don't. Definitely, I'm thinking more like uh, at least about $300,000 a year in passive cash flow is what I'm looking and then, if you're saying double the number, that would be 600, then I'd be real comfortable. But I still have this passion for real estate. You know, I sit together like, Tens of hours, like this past weekend, right, yesterday and today, I've been working like at least 15 hours between yesterday and today. And I don't feel like work. It's just something that I want to do. I want to figure things out. I want to prepare for my next week, what I'm going to do. In order to answer your question, though, I'm not really an early razor. I should be, but I try to wake up around eight if I don't have to get up early morning and show up at work at night. I would get up at eight and then have my coffee, watch some news, and get ready around 10. I want to start work from 10 till five or six on my real estate projects. I want to drive around, go look at some deals and look at the deals that we are already in. I want to go and focus on the property management. I'm one of the person who strongly believes that the work starts when you buy. It doesn't end when you buy but it starts when you buy a huge deal because you have this great responsibility for your investors who passively invest with you so you owe it to them to hit all the projections that we made when we are putting together the deal and that will only happen if you actually take a very, very close and personal interest in the execution of the business plan. That means just don't leave it on autopilot or just leave it on property management thinking that they will run the show for you. They still will run the show for you, but you have to actually watch it like a hawk and kind of make sure that you provide that transparency on how things are going to investors and all that. That's where I would focus my time on. I would actually personally want to drive all these properties to find the next ones. And the ones I already have, I want to spend at least two to three hours actually go sit in the office and see how the operations are going. Not every property every day. Let's say we have three deals right now. So if time's not a problem, then I want to go sit there for two to three hours. Monday one property, Tuesday one property, Wednesday one property. That's what I would do.
0: Yeah, so the last question here is, Tony Robin identifies two large concepts that we continually struggling to gain perfection at. The first is our fulfillment and the second is the science of achievement. So if you died tomorrow, what would be your secret or hack to the first, the science of achievement? Any secret habits to share?
1: This is what I would say. First of all, know yourself, know thyself. You should have a very clear understanding on who you are and what is it that you want in life. It should be very clear If you're not very sure if different thoughts are competing against each other in your brain, just put it on the paper and first understand who you are, meaning what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are you willing to do to get to what you want? You need to have first very clear understanding on what those are. And then once you have that figured out, then you need to put together a plan And you should execute the plan in pursuit of your goals. And you should believe in your mind that you're in the past. The future has already happened. Meaning, if my goal is to actually make a half a million dollars in passive income, I should believe that it already happened. It's just that I'm living in the past and eventually I'm going to get there. You have to believe that the needle that you're looking in the haystack actually exists. It's just a matter of finding it and you're going to find it in the next 15 minutes. If you don't find it in the next 15, 15, minutes in the next 30 minutes. Basically, you have to believe that this is going to happen. Most people's dreams don't get reached because they give up too soon. Nobody said life is going to be easy. It's just that how persistent you are is all it's all about. Now, the clinical definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result just because you did it the same thing again. What that means is if you put together a plan to reach your goal and you're working towards it and some time passed and nothing happened, the goal should not change. The goal is still there. You will reach it. It's just that you have to ask yourself, hey, what modifications, what fine tunings can I do to my plan? What different I can do to the plan to get to my goal? But some people just spend years together trying to get to their goal. It's good. You have to hats off to their persistence, but they don't tweak their ways to get there. That is what I would see. Know yourself, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, where your weaknesses are, go partner with, work towards. Ideally, you should work towards surpassing your weaknesses and make them your strengths as well. But if that can't be done, the next best thing is to go partner with somebody who can bridge those weaknesses for you. Define clear goals, put together a plan, execute it with faith that it will work. Don't double guess yourself. But if you're not getting your success, obviously you have to revisit the plan, tweak it, and retry again. Rinse and repeat until you get to your goal. That would be my advice for somebody
0: a Lot of things there. A couple of things that came to mind was that believe that you've done this before. Some people will call that energy, or I call it momentum. And like if you're shooting baskets and you made three three pointers in a row, you're just your whole outlook on if I pass you that ball on the fourth one, it's just going to be so much more fluid. Exactly. And you're probably going to make it. It sounds a little oogie de but. Hey, you know, if it works, <laughs> it works. Another thing you mentioned there was work towards your strengths. The new age thinking is don't worry about your weaknesses. What are your strengths and augment those? Because that's really what's making you special. That's what's making you stand out, that's your competitive advantage. I kind of think also that don't let your weaknesses hurt you. What is your thoughts on strengths and weaknesses?
1: If you look at my strengths, I try to be like really agile. Luckily, I don't feel like real estate is work. That's definitely a strength in my book because I kind of enjoy it and I try to put together plan and look at everything objectively. I try to put myself in the other guy's shoes. That is definitely a strength in building those relationships and all that. When it comes to weakness, I don't actually, I'm not a very gregarious person. I'm not usually the kind of a person who goes into a room full of people and cheerfully introduce myself, all that. I used to be a much more introvert, but then again, I saw that being that way is not going to get anywhere. I recognize that as my weakness. I work towards it, but I still have a long way to go there. That is where my business partner, Ramana, he is excellent in actually making the initial relationships he starts new relationships with people once the relationship is established i do fine but that's definitely one weakness that for example that's one place where my business partner ramna steps in and actually bridges the weakness that i have and together we're successful because of that
0: well i think introverts make the best salesmen
1: (laughs) i think so too
0: what is your secret hack for the order of fulfillment? How do you contribute back?
1: I'm very open with sharing what worked. Like for example, there's a lot of people who was wondering this deal that we have in contract on the Muskie deal contract. So it was a 15 million contract. There's apparently some 10 people, some veteran people who have much more experience than me. A lot of people were curious, how did you get it? I'm very open about sharing what worked for me. Because I believe in this mentality that there's a lot for everywhere. There's so many deals everywhere. If everybody in this group wants to do, Everybody has a deal out there. We don't have to kind of hide our secrets and all that and not share them. Obviously, let's say if I'm working on a property, I wouldn't broadcast that. Obviously, that would be insane. You don't want the competition on that one particular thing that you're working on. I'm not talking about that, but generally sharing your successes, what works and openly and helping out people without expecting anything back. That's definitely something I was groomed from childhood to do that. And I intend to do that, especially saw that from my mentor, Brad. He goes out of his way to help people. And that's very infectious. When you see somebody doing that and see that's a successful man who's helping people out of his way. And maybe that is how one ought to be. And maybe that is natural. Then you started doing that. Being in this group, I started doing that, offering advice to anybody who needs from me. Again, I'm not claiming to be a guru or a super successful person, but from what I know, I help out people. And also contribution-wise, again, I owe this a lot of gratitude to my business partner, Ramana, as well. Together, we have achieved a lot, and we're going to achieve a lot more. Our future would be actually doing this much bigger deals and much faster, and also not lose sight of the execution. Do a very pinpoint accuracy execution against the projections that you made. That would be something that we'll be looking into.
0: Anything we missed? Any contact information you'd like for people to get a hold of you?
1: Sure. If somebody want to get hold of me, the best way to is either call me or text me at my number 281 727 9238. That's a Houston number. I used to live in Houston. I kept the same number, but I live in Plano, Texas. My email would be get G, G as in George, E as in Edward, T as in Tango, number two, V as in Victor, E as in England, N as in Nancy, K as in Kentucky, E as in America, T as in Tango. Get to Vincat at yahoo.com.
0: Thanks for spending the time here, Venkat. A lot of good information. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity, Lane. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and license tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.